face today. Yeah, I literally nobody touches your microphone except for you. No, so I came in today and it was all jacked it up. It was all lies. The whole thing was wrong. Constantly complaining. You know what? Why don't you take your microphone home with you every week and bring it back? Because then I gotta put it back together. You could just also <laughs> leave it alone. I don't. I push it over there I and I don't Samantha touch it. I think comes in here and moves it around. I would be surprised. <laughs> and I'm not around. She's just sitting here singing. She just slowly moves everything and like unscrews it just a little bit to where you don't really notice, but you're like, something just isn't right. <laughs> She's trying to sabotage the podcast <laughs> so that I will spend more time with her. <laughs> Wouldn't be surprised. Anyways, welcome to your queer story. The podcast that inspires peace, love, and radicalism. And I'm your host, Evan Jones. And I'm, of course, Paul Hobbs. Uh, soon to not be Paul Hobbs, probably next mm-hmm. year. Probably. Who knows, Could people. be this year. Right. At a surprise I'm gonna start taking. Ball. I'm going to start taking bets. Either Paul's <laughs> going to get married immediately or he's not getting married for three years. There's no in between. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, what are you doing? We're at the courthouse. We have to have a witness. He's so mad at me. He's like, why aren't you here? I'm like, I bet you didn't tell me you were going to be married. <laughs> I would be mad too. What do you mean it's going to take you an hour to get here? <laughs> oh God. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we're dropping this um, the day before International Drag Day. So we're doing a two-part series uh, this week and next week on... Drag, and you know a little bit about that. Oh, I know a lot about drag. I know way too much about drag queen. I've always said that I've consumed so much drag Mm -hmm. from watching uh, David do it and his friends and being there and helping them get ready and DJing and basically Mm -hmm. being the person who just makes sure nothing falls apart. Yeah. And like watching the performances, I'm like, if I did drag, I would put all of you out of business (laughs) because I just absorbed so much knowledge. Like I know what all of you do right and wrong and I could just do it all. I think we've talked about this before, maybe on like our, um, our like behind the Queens, which you can get access to with our exclusive Patreon content, $3 a month. $3 a freaking month. $3. Don't be mean to the Patreon. (laughs) What? Don't be mean. You're like, it's $3 a freaking month. No, I'm just saying like. It's a lot. Like it adds up, and people are feel like they don't do much with three dollars, but they really do. And I was mm-hmm. just gonna say, it's like literally the price of one coffee. Yeah. If you get five coffees a week, if you get twenty coffees a month, mm-hmm. you could drop one and support us. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Anyways, um, but on the behind the queens, I think we talked. We did like a thing on dating a drag queen. Yeah, and that, that episode is actually released for free. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So you can actually, uh, we have a few things up now. I think at least five things that yeah. are free on there. So you can go and kind of check out from the beginning to what we're doing currently. And all, yeah. there's a, I think we have almost forty things up now that are exclusive. Yeah. I'm really sorry for the coffee with Evan stuff. Uh, it just. Quarantine really screwed with us. 2020 really screwed with us. (laughs) Well, I just, we just had a lot going on with, um, in June and I didn't get any up. I think I got one up at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the the month. So I'm really sorry. I am going to still be putting up coffee with Evans. I did slow down how often I release them and that was part of the problem, but I am going to put one up. So I'm sorry. But yeah, but we have a couple of free videos and we've got um, a couple free behind the queens and just in general, just like other old stuff. There's some bloopers that I threw up on there for free. Yeah. Um, that are really entertaining. Evan is having a full meltdown while Samantha (laughs) walks in the room. So that's fun to listen to. (laughs) So anyways, all of that was to say, were you excited when you found out that David was a drag queen or I was indifferent because, um, I remember you being excited. I probably was, but today I would say I was indifferent. Maybe at the time I was excited. 
I think that it was young Paul and you were very like you, we, you had just come out from Indiana, which we didn't have anything. And then you met this boy who was a queen and then you went out with him and his friends at night and they were all drag queens and you were like, oh my God, I'm sitting with all these drag queens. Yeah, I got to be kind of like the cool kid, right? <laughs> yeah, at the These time, are the yeah. hosts, these are the entertainers and mm-hmm. they want me to sit with them yeah. and they're all buying me free drinks and this is great. I'm yeah. 21, this is exactly, 22, this is exactly <laughs> what I want. Yeah. But now I'm like, okay, go do your thing. I'm <laughs> going to sit like, at home <laughs> in my underwear and have my alone time. All dragged out. Yeah, but no, I, I'm sure I was very excited at the time. But there's also that weird stigma that I still, to the, I never understood from day one, but mm-hmm. I guess it's like David posted a picture of us and he did hashtag femme for femme. Uh-huh. And so I guess like, I don't know, the whole mask femme thing never was a barrier for me. Yeah. Because before David, I had been with masculine guys and I had been with feminine guys. And there was no, like that whole, I have to be with a manly man, yeah. and drag, maybe they're actually transgender. Or like, I don't, I never got that. Yeah. To me, it never made sense in my brain why you would limit yourself to dating someone or being with someone or experiencing what that person's life has to offer you just based on something that you might perceive that's probably not even true. Yeah. It's really funny how much we lock ourselves into these roles. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not enough just to be like, I only date this gender, but also I only date this kind of person. I only date this race. I only date this, this. And it's just my preferences. It's really not. Why do you have those preferences? Those preferences are are based on bias Mm -hmm. of some sort. Yeah, there is a bias. of some sort. Sexism of some sort. Like. I would never date a woman, but that's strictly because of my sexuality. Yeah, gay. yeah, it's an orientation. Within the gay community, I'm not going to limit myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything. Explore. You, do. you find yeah. out what you like and what you don't like. Find yeah. out why you don't like something. That's a big one. That's a big one that people don't want to don't want to tackle. So they just keep dating the same kind mm-hmm. of people, and they're like, "I just like what I like." Though I did think about it, and every guy I've ever like dated with. Uh, dated with dated has had tattoos so apparently i do have some sort of well, bias towards tattoos there just saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's it now you know what your type is mm-hmm. <laughs> um what's i guess okay so anyways before we get into the episode we just want to remind you guys to subscribe to the podcast on any of your platforms like spotify stitcher youtube mm-hmm. uh apple Podcasts, google Pl- podcasts google play um tune in iHeartRadio. Pandora. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> Subscribe, like, download the podcast, review us. That always really helps mm-hmm. us to get us to spread awareness about the podcast. When you post a review, that really helps. Yep. So 52% of our listeners overall listen on Spotify. Yeah. Um, and then the rest is broken down 10% here, 10% here, 12% here. But the thing about our podcast being so popular on Spotify, one, I love it because mm-hmm. everybody has fucking Spotify. But yeah. two... The only downside is that there's no review yeah. functionality. So if you could go to Stitcher or iTunes or somewhere and just drop us a five-star review. Or even Google. Google. Even Google. Drop um, us a tweet. Yeah. Share our link. You we know, might If need, you can't review, then just even sharing a link means a lot. We might need some good reviews because I've apparently pissed some people off. Yeah, so. don't let us get bombarded by a local <laughs> by organization. People that are mad at me for something else. <laughs> Whatever. It wasn't a bad. I didn't do anything wrong, guys. Um, no. But uh, just some people. A question was asked and then people don't like change and yeah. they decided to be angry people rather than like asking change. a question and saying, oh, actually, why not? Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's very vague. People are like, what's going on? It doesn't matter. The point is, that's the one thing about having a podcast, because if you speak about any issues, people can go back and be like, well, this is a way that I can hurt you. I mm-hmm. can attack this this part of you, even if it has nothing to do with what you're doing. Right. But anyways. Um, <laughs> so yes. So help us out. Review us. Like us. Share us. Um, and um, how was your... We had a week off last week, even though we dropped a mini-sode, because we just like to do that kind of shit. Yeah. If we give, if we take a week off, guess what? We're going to make it back. For, we usually do. We, Almost we, we every do. time we have it's, some extra content that comes true. out. Because we we're like, we really skipped a week. We can't be doing that. Let's make it also, up. Also, we love to talk. So really, let's be <laughs> yeah, honest. The, we skipped a week and we're like, I've got reason, too much. <laughs> that's the whole reason we have a podcast and not something else. Because we tried to do video and that's just like too much. But yeah. if we could just sit down and talk, God, we can Easy. do that all day. Easy. Um, what did I do? Oh my gosh, I did so much. So by the time this drops, my family have, will have been here for one day. Mm-hmm. Um, and super excited. I only get to see them once or twice a year. Yeah. So when I see them, we kind of go all out. You know, they don't stay in a hotel. I don't stay in a hotel. We stay together in the house. And David, poor David, hates Uno. But, like, we just love to play Uno. It's hours and we, hours We, of we Uno. will play hours of Uno. And we Because it's so fun. Like, my little sister, I always try to get her. I always try to load her up with as many cards. But I don't know. It's a stupid game. But at the same time, it's fun. It's, you know, there's no real talent behind it. It's all just luck and... It's a good time. It's easy to play. Um, Samantha's family plays this game called Scat, which I don't know oh what it's God. called. That get, look, I didn't name the game, but I don't know. It's some kind of like penny card game. I don't, and it's really sad because it's been four and a half years, almost five years, and I still every time we play, I'm like, what are we doing again? And they have to remind me. But that's them. That's what they do every time yeah, they're together. and it's they're just like, like this thing you do, and you don't know why you do it, but it's just, just it brings is. you joy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've done a couple home improvements. We bought some paint for our deck, which we haven't put on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, built a fire pit, repaired one of the stairs outside of our house with some wow. cement. We actually did that this morning. Um, and you know, I just nice getting ready. We've got our yard looking nice. We hung some strings through all the trees in our backyard. So mm-hmm. we plug that in with a little fire pit Cute. and sit by the pond and yeah, nice. been taking it easy ish. Since we've been quarantined, we've done a lot of house stuff. How about you? Oh, yeah. Same. I mean, Samantha remodeled our bathroom as much as possible. Like She installed <laughs> a new medicine cabinet and our, everything. Our listeners have heard. Yes, yeah. They can hear her <laughs> in the background. Um, but, I mean, mostly like staying home, we finally became licensed foster parents. So, so exciting. That just means that we have the license now. We're, we're waiting mm-hmm. for the kids, but we can actually start receiving kids into our home. And that was another thing, getting the, the kids' bedroom ready. So we had to like repaint the walls and put up some shelves and get a bed in there and everything. So everything is set and ready. Um, and, yeah, and then we went um, during the – the weekend, the July Fourth weekend, we went and saw my sister Deanna, in and my sister. They're staying at an Airbnb because they had some water damage at their house. I saw the so, yeah. the, the pool. It's beautiful. Games. It's this huge house. It's beautiful, <laughs> big pool, and so and so we just swam. I watched everybody days. trying to jump on the floaty. Exactly. It was that looks like so much fun. It was fun, and it also it's impossible to get on that damn floaty. <laughs> like I, I don't know who designed it. 
but you can't just get on it. Like I tried, the first thing I did when I got in that pool is like, oh, I'm going to get on this pony. And I just kept flipping. I tried, tried to get on the side. I tried to step on the, the, the stair. I know how stubborn you are. And everybody's like, just give it up. We, have, like, we have these other 30 <laughs> floaties. Like, literally they did. They're like, we have all these floaties. They're like, no, I want to ride the unicorn. So, so, and that's how that game started. And me jumping off the, da- the, the diving board was, my, I was like, I'm going to get on this stupid thing. <laughs> Who ended up getting on it at the end? I saw Samantha somebody successfully did. like floating. Samantha did. She like laid herself on and held on for dear mm-hmm. life. But um, yeah, but it was fun. It was really good to see my sister and my nieces. And I'm really. I'll throw my brother-in-law in there too. Yeah. But we're <laughs> <laughs> no. being honest. This is the truth podcast. Just saying. Um, no. no, I'm very excited to see my like. Every yeah. day I'm on like on countdown. Yeah. It's better than any holiday for me at the time I get to see them. So yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But I guess we're ready to get into it. Can you tell we haven't spoken in like over a week? Yeah. We gotta get it all out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, we always catch up with each other on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's not it's I mean We a save bit all the good content for you. Yeah. Otherwise our, all of our conversations that aren't on the podcast are me sending Evan articles of things we should cover. Yep. <laughs> and I don't read the articles. I see the headline and I'm like, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. <laughs> and every now and then I check in. Yeah. But it's mostly like just some, podcast talk. Yeah, mostly just pod yeah. Or, or we're talking about something that's happening in the community, like little things here, but those are really like brief yeah. things. What's going on? What are the updates? Yeah. Strangest and gaudiest of all Harlem spectacles in the 20s and still strangest and gaudiest is the annual Hamilton Club Lodge Ball at Rockland Palace Casino. I once attended as a guest of Alelia Walker. It is the ball where men dresses women and women dresses men. It was fashionable for the social leaders of both Harlem and the downtown area to occupy boxes at this ball and look down from above at the queerly assorted throng on the dancing floor. Males in flowing gowns and feathered headdresses and females in tuxedos and box backs suits. But also at the beginning of this episode, I don't know how familiar, familiar you are with the drag scene, but they're starting to use the word drag artist now okay, instead of queen. drag queen because yeah. to fit in with you know drag kings and um they've changed the wording so much so i'm sorry if this is not the right word but um oh my god bio queen is what they oh, would say bi- for yeah. like a, a quote-unquote real girl that did okay. drag um so they've just kind of tried to condense an under drag artist okay. like how we use the word queer so sp- sprinkle that throughout, unless we're just specifically talking, like there's one yeah, part in there where we're right. talking about a queen, exactly. but otherwise just interchange like artists mm-hmm. for queen. Yep. So, Renowned black poet Langston Hughes wrote the words we just quoted in his first autobiography, The Big C. He was referring to the ballroom scene during the Harlem Renaissance, which was a wave of expansion around black culture during the 1920s and into the 30s. And I'd really encourage you to read about the Harlem Renaissance. It's very, it's very fascinating. We'll probably cover it more in other topics later because there was a lot of like queer culture also expanding, but it just black culture in general. Mm-hmm. The era would spark many changes in theater and arts, but it also brought, but it also birthed ballroom performance which would later split into the modern drag scene and the underground ball culture like everything else in america touches racism played the strongest component in this divide surprise surprise the concept of drag has been around for centuries though it has been played out in various ways across many cultures the greeks often had men play female parts as did the japanese during the elizabethan elizabethan 
During the Elizabethan era in London, it was actually illegal for women to act on stage professionally until the 1660s, which meant all female roles went to teenage boys. However, these performances were quite serious and built on the misogynistic idea that it would be unseemly for a woman to perform in public. A different form of misogyny would arrive with the advent of vaudeville in the 1800s. Yeah, and so and there was actually some um, debate over whether it was really illegal for a woman to perform in England because in a lot of the smaller towns, women did perform. But in London, the stage companies wouldn't allow a woman to perform. So... In that sense, I don't know if it was technically illegal, but it was forbidden it was and you just, didn't. Yeah, it was that thing you just yeah. didn't do. And what's so interesting to me is that they would have teen boys play the female role, yeah. which almost makes it like, like, I don't know how at that specific time queer life was, but... Mm-hmm. Like they would rather that than a woman be in the role. Oh yeah, they would definitely. And th- but they they chose uh, teen boys because they're more feminine. Right. Looking. They don't have the structure right. of the. Anyone that was pre like pre puberty was would could play the role. Um, but yeah, it goes back to that like they would rather that than a woman because a woman performing well, that was just ridiculous. But then they wrote women's roles, which right. is like why. Right. Why not just have why, all right? <laughs> what is the thinking behind that? I don't know. So yeah. So vaudeville, defined as a farce with music, is the art originated in France as a comedic variety show. Yet America took the entertainment to another level. For the most part, the shows were a mix of amazing talents such as acrobats and opera singers combined with vibrantly racist, homophobic, and sexist performances. It was through vaudeville that minstrel shows were created, and these featured white people in blackface mocking and degrading black people. It is why blackface is such a disgusting and racist act, even if a person thinks they're paying tribute to an individual. If you're dressing up, is one thing, mm-hmm. right? But well, it, but if you're completely changing your race and your feature, like I don't know how to explain it properly. I don't. Th- you should never. Darken your skin. No, you're playing the character and you're not making yourself the character. I guess yeah. I don't know how to say it. Like, I mean, if you want to like, okay, so if you're doing it for a specific, for, there's, there's, there's ways of appropriation, like, right? Like, so in Halloween, you shouldn't be dressing up as a Native American. You shouldn't be dressing Absolutely. up as someone right. because you're, you're mocking that. If you're doing a, a, maybe a drag performance and you are paying tribute to a person, don't darken your skin ever, ever. But that that is a form of paying tribute to the person um but i that's a really hard line a hard to line toe too. and yeah. and even if you're paying tribute most people are going to perceive that as a mocking of that of that race or that um even that individual so that's right. why it's really difficult um, I, if you were going to do something like that, I would talk to a person of color and I would read before you did anything. And again, to just be really don't clear. Don't mock it. That's the thing. Don't play up the racial stereotypes. Don't. That, yeah. I, I can't. I think it's, it's hard because like what happens is a lot. So there was like a really offensive thing that happened in the, in the RI drag community. Like sometime in the last <laughs> like 10 years. Uh, was, was it was horrible. Where like this person, this white queen showed up in blackface holding like a bucket of chicken. KFC. I think. Yeah. And, and could not see at the time why that was so horribly offensive. Why and, not? This, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a white person completely painted midnight black mm-hmm. with a bucket of KFC. Yeah. And these 
I think they were like raggedy clothes. Like yeah. it was very much it was mockery. Truly it was not horrible. And it was, and so many levels. I mean, the blackface in itself is horrible. And the reason that blackface is horrible is because it stems from these shows. So what you've um, found a lot in like Justin Trudeau, like wore blackface and he was uh, trying to play tribute to some person. So that's what he's, that's a line you hear a lot. White people use a lot. They're trying to play tribute to this person. Mm-hmm. And the reality is why you don't wear blackface is because it stems from the minstrel shows where people put on blackface and they mocked black people. Mm-hmm. The Birth of the Nation, which is one of the most notorious racist films um, in ever created and helped birth the modern neo-Nazi movement, has a white man playing a black man and he's the villain in that um He's the villain in that show, and then and the black man gets um, taken and hanged, mm-hmm. and so uh, so it's the what it stems from. It's why blackface came to be. Blackface was created to mock black people, Absolutely. and it will always be tied to that. I don't care what your reasons around it is. So if you're wearing, so when we're saying um, honoring a person, we're talking about maybe wearing a, a an outfit, outfit that they're not for. not painting your skin, but wearing exactly. an outfit, but then. You need to be very careful. Why are you wearing that outfit? Because if you're wearing that outfit to a party, that's not showing honor to a person. Right. You're not you're not being honest about why you're wearing that. Honestly, even if you're wearing an outfit in a performance, if you don't have ties to that culture, again, I, it's hard for me to see you as um, honestly trying to honor that culture and not trying to use that culture as a way for you to um, promote your own art. Right. Right, mm-hmm. taking I made, advantage of a situation. Exactly, right. You're using, yeah, exactly. So again, you're appropriating that culture for your own, for your own benefit, for your own benefit. So that's why. So there are very, very few times when you should ever, like, I think one of the, um, and I don't know. There's been some mixed commentary on this, but when the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, a few weeks ago, there was uh, pictures of several senators wearing like a traditional garb of like mm-hmm. African garb, but they were wearing it in honor of of black Americans. And, and some people didn't like it. And some people were like, well, they're showing respect. But e- either way, in that moment, that could be a, an honest attempt to show respect for a culture. Now, the culture might not want you to show that, but that could be viewed as an honest attempt to show respect. Right. So those would be the few times where you might wear an outfit like that. But I don't see it ever need being worn at a party or as a performance and not and not appropriating the mm-hmm. group. I don't, You know? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, anyways, all of that that was all based on the the um the blackface. Also, that queen, uh, we still have some work to do around that because that's an issue I'm not going to get into. But I mean, if you're gonna sh- if you don't know in fucking 2015 that you should be I wearing, I would never. And first of all, I would never do it at any time in my life. Yeah, but let alone in 2015 when there's so much more education to be wearing that that blackface and carrying like such an offensive stereotype on top of the fact that you're wearing blackface it was like 2001 i I, just didn't know if it was like 2001 i could have been like "Mm, like, things were a little different you were really ignorant that's really still fucked up but like to do it in 2015 is like yeah it's just, just a, you're not listening to anyone. And and again, like like even people in the 70s and, and like 80s, like it's always been stemmed in racism and it's always been a stupid idea and you should have known better. But today with all the education that we have, That's with the all the black voices that we can listen to, to think that it's okay mm-hmm. to dress that way, like people, what made the, you want to mock black people that way? The one, 
You know why? <laughs> That's a question, right? You know yeah, why? Yeah, yeah, because they're racist. They're racist. Yep. Fuck, and they're pretending that they're not, and they're being I'm protected. I'm not racist. I don't care if you're black, brown, white, yellow, or purple. <laughs> I don't want to hear that goddamn line one more time. That's the line they always go to. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. the line they always go to. Well, clearly you do, because like, guess what? Yeah, we can see the You've evidence. You've never done a white look that's anywhere near this degrading. Yeah, exactly. Not that you could. I mean, what would you, I mean, you would just do like, I don't know what. Just white trash? Yeah. I, yeah, but I don't like, know. that is so it's such a, uh, offensive. It's a, it's a, it's a stereotype. That was like as low as she could have went. Yeah. Like there's not much she could have done she, Exactly. Worse. She couldn't have done much worse. That was as low as she could go. And, and then people are like, everyone makes mistakes. There was no growth after that. Every, no. People make mistakes, but first of all, to even think that, to even walk into that so-called mistake and then to not grow from that mistake. Anyways, we're getting distracted. The whole point of this was, <laughs> was vaudeville had a history of these minstrel shows. They also had a history of a lot of sexism. While the circumstances and methods were not ideal, the queer community was did find a way to use the storm of... Oh, wait, no, I, I skipped a whole section. I thought so, but I was okay. like, you know better than me. <laughs> but in addition to racism, one of the core elements of vaudeville was to openly mock women and any effeminate characteristics. So on top of the fact that it's very racist, it's also very sexist. This was used as a double form of oppression for black women and even black men. And they would often portray, it would just show like how much they hated women because not, they would, not only do you have this white guy in a black face pretending to be a black man, but he also would portray black men as very effeminate as if to be like, we're the tough white guys and we oh, run yeah. things and you, you, know, you black guys are weak to show weakness. Yeah. Um, part of this was the America's own response to the English dandy who was seen as weak compared to the American cowboy. Nationalism was alive and well in America, even with the Civil War still fresh in everyone's memory. The country was continuing to battle Mexico and native tribes as more land was stolen, more people were slaughtered, and colonialism was spread from coast to coast. And in this defiance to much of the world's outrage and criticism, a hyper sense of masculinity was adopted. Toxic Masculinity 101. Yep. Um, While the circumstances and methods were not ideal, the queer community was finding a way to use this storm to their advantage. In 1904, a new star hit Broadway, a new star hit the Broadway scene when 23-year-old Julian Eltinge, Eltinge, Eltinge was given a role in Mr. Wicks of Wickman. Like many vaudeville performers of the era, era Eltinge did do, did do female impersonations. However, unlike the others, he portrayed actual feminine qualities that created an illusion rather than a caricature of a woman. Within two years, he was so popular he was performing before the King of England, and by 1920, Eltinge was one of the wealthiest stars in the country. He lived in a beautiful mansion in California and earned 3500 a week, which translates to 59000 today. He published a magazine titled... He published a magazine titled Magazine and Beauty Hints and even posed for cosmetic companies. $59,000 a week. That's, that's what he's, that's bank. my, that's like my, not even my salary anymore, but that's like my wife's salary in yeah. a week. And yeah. that's crazy. That is crazy. But what was, so the, the thing that was about him, like the, the act itself were still offensive, but he did take away some of that bite, some of that mockery towards femininity. And 
many people were like, they were shocked. Like he, they actually, like he would do this thing. He would perform, he would walk out onto a show and he would do a whole performance. And then at the end he would remove his wig and people would be like, <gasps> it's a man. And so, <laughs> and they were just shock and gas through the crowds. Yeah. And they were like, wow, that's incredible. Um, and um, so, so there's this, uh, there was a whole thing with that, but so he kind of softened art. And again, like, there was still some offense, but it was a lot more closer. I don't even want to say as closer to what drag is today because I feel like drag has, has swung away to like a different kind of art form. Mm-hmm. But it, it swung closer to that that what we saw drag being between the 30s and the the 80s, wow. like very much fifmo impersonation. Yep. So of course there were many rumors that Eltinge was gay, and some have also suspected that he may have been transgender or non-binary. At the time, though, he risked everything, including including his freedom if he was outed. To combat the many rumors swirling, Julian adopted a hyper-masculine persona when out of character and often traveled with actresses who would identify as his wife. (laughs) And you know, he was like, honey, can you come with me on this trip? I really need a woman to come with me so that I can look straight. Exactly. Well, And And I'm not going to... I'm not going to like try to have sex with you. I'm not going to bother you. You can just come and have fun with me. He would just like, he would just grab whatever actress was willing and they'd go to Japan or something because he's world famous and, and they'd be like, Oh, this is my wife. And and it's not like the days of social media where it's easy to know. Like you just like, Oh yeah, this is his wife. Um, but he was very sensitive to anyone who called him effeminate out of character. Ruined his whole career and his whole life. Exactly. So he would get in fist fights and and it was like, it was an over the top masculine persona, but he had to adopt it. He had to, you know, his fame and wealth would come crashing down, though, in 1929 when the stock market crashed and America entered the Great Depression. He spent the last 10 years of his life working in nightclubs as a female impersonator and singer while trying to avoid being arrested for cross-dressing, which is a very, it's like go to go from one of the biggest stars in the world to the very thing that made you famous now is getting you arrested. Right. Um, there is an allure to many who saw Elton's softer performance as a woman rather than the harsh mockery of most vaudeville. The 20s dawned with, uh, with Julian at the height of his career, and a wave of queer freedom spread through many large cities. Meanwhile, the tidal wave of the Harlem Renaissance was rolling in, as well. And meanwhile, the tidal wave of the Harlem Renaissance was rolling in, as, as well. And together, the two events made a decades-long tradition an overnight sensation. The custom of drag had started in America shortly after the end of the Civil War. In 1867, Annie Hindle took the country by storm with her uncanny male impersonations. One critic wrote, one critic wrote, Annie Hindle has proven, has proved a great success. As a male impersonator, her sex is so concealed that one is apt to imagine that it is a man who is singing. Hindle was so convincing in her drag and makeup that she tricked a Baptist minister into marrying her and her girlfriend in 1886 <laughs> and then did it a second time when her first wife passed away and she remarried. <laughs> that is such a badass thing to do. Also, I love this era because literally all you had to do was put on a pair of a pants as a woman and people were like, well, there's a man. Like, yeah. I, I just thought, I thought there was a woman just in here, but I, I, I'm sorry, I got confused. My bad. The woman like, walks in in a dress and like goes into the bathroom, changes into a pair of pants real quick, walks they come out. out. And they're like, wait a minute. They're like, where did she go? And they're they're just, like looking in the bathroom, looking in the people. opening the shower curtains. Where did she go? Apple. She must have climbed out the window. I don't know how this man got in here. I don't like I'm not jealous of everything else that they had to go through, but I am jealous of how sorry. I am jealous of how easy it was to pass then. Because I've seen the pictures 
of 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 trans men in that era and i'm like there's no way i could look like that and pass today but all you did was put on a tie and a hat and people are like how do you do sir welcome to the neighborhood (laughs) (laughs) however hindle's performances were built on the vaudeville styles of the day and not yet a separate art of their own Ballroom would develop in Washington, D.C. in the 1880s when a former slave named William Dorsey Swan began hosting what he called drag balls. The events were for other former slaves and turned drag into a royal affair. Author Channing Joseph has written two books on the subject of black drag queens. One is set to be released next year. It's called The House of Swan, and I am so excited for it. on my audible wish list. That's right. (laughs) But he details in The Black Drag Queens Who Fought Before Stonewall how Swan dubbed himself the Queen of Drag, thereby birthing the name Drag Queen. And as Paul pointed out when we were starting that um, today uh, drag um, performers prefer drag artists because you have kings and queens and uh, and everybody in between. Mm -hmm. But um, but this was where that first terminology came. Swan may not have been the originator of drag in America, but he was certainly one of its earliest defenders and proponents. In April 1888, Washington Post headline read, Black Dive Raided. Thirteen black men dressed as women, surprised at supper and arrested. Which I can only imagine, like, the Mm. homophobia and racism of the time the cops walking in, what that must have, like, they must have been like, what the Fuck! Like, you <laughs> oh, know the, what, co- like, the cops yeah. when they showed up and they're like, they're like, there's a disturbance happening over with all these black people, and I'm sure they didn't say black people. Right. And then they they show up, they're like, all right, like, hey, whoa. Yeah, they were probably like, what in the world? <laughs> the article detailed how Swan confronted the officers, inciting a brawl and shredding his gorgeous gown in the process. The raids were a regular part of Swan's drag balls, and there are many articles detailing the events, including one that read, "The Queen raided." You do your your editorial voice. The Queen raided, unexpected interruption of her banquet and ball. <laughs> the article headline was meant to deride the ball, but shows how the queer community has the ability to turn jest into culture. So like a lot of these, this term, like he, yes, he threw these balls, but then the, the white press would mock him so much that it all just became part. And like, yeah, well, yes, this is a royal affair. Thank you so much for calling me queen. I exactly. appreciate it. You can't control the queen, <laughs> the queer community because we will take every word you throw at us and be like, yep, you yep, went wrong. Absolutely. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so William Swan was oh, not. Real quick before we go on, just because of part of mm. this mocking the queer community. Did you see what happened to David and I when we were walking? He posted about it. No, the man remember. started yelling homophobic things. Oh, just, yeah, yeah. And at the end, he goes, "Why don't you go and suck your boyfriend's dick?" And I was just like, "Well, I probably am about to. You're not wrong." So, <laughs> exactly. Like, what what are you trying? What to- do you think we're going to do? I'm not, I'm, we're not just gonna go sit. <laughs> exactly. It's like I love when people try to like be offensive, and most of the time, you're just like. Yeah, that that's literally what we're gonna do. Yeah, uh, or th- that's uh, but literally. But I do who I know am. that if it was like a younger queer couple, they probably would have been, you know, scared and shied away and ran. But to me, I'm like, oh, you ain't wrong, buddy. Yeah, exactly. When you want to go because we'll fight too. Yeah. <laughs> when you grow up in it, you're like, yeah, that that's fine. It's like yeah, when when people like hasn't happened to me in a uh, long. That time. was actually the first time it ever happened to me. In really? Public. Yeah. I remember in um, this was before I came out as trans. Like I knew. I was trans, but it's when I very first started working at CVS. So this was like three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. I was wearing my shirt and tie at work, and I I was. It's a really weird because that night I was messaging another trans man, being like, "I'm really struggling with my gender identity. I think I'm trans. I don't know what to do." 
and this guy comes into the the store and he he's looks he keeps looking at me and he goes to my 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 uh my coworker and he goes what the fuck is that and he's like what are you trying to be some kind of man and I'm and you know and he's trying to be offensive but in my mind I'm like well you got it right buddy yeah, you know well, clearly I'm doing it right if you're recognizing <laughs> I guess you mean you're picking up on something <laughs> asshole right <laughs> so anyways um so the article headline was meant to deride the, the ball. William Swallen was not deterred at all. He and his lover, Pierce Lafayette, lived in a beautiful two-story home that often housed the drag balls. The very existence of William and Pierce was an act of defiance. They were former slaves, black, gay, and uninterested in gender norms of expression. Most importantly, they were unapologetic about their life and their love. And while it is inspiring, they face a lot of hardship and abuse. The 1888 arrest of William Swan is noted as the first recorded arrest for female impersonation in the United States. And it was the first of many for William Swan over the next two decades. Think of how much they were in defiance of. Right. Former slaves. Mm -hmm. So already you went through that hardship. You have the racism of being Mm -hmm. black. You're gay. And you're doing drag. And you're successful. And you're successful. Exactly. So five marks against you. Yeah. Compared to the white heteronormativity that everyone expects. The white people of the town are just boiling inside every time they walk out. You mark off every box of everything they could ever hate. The only thing that could have made them even worse Uh is if they were women. Yeah. Like that was the only thing that they were. That's the only box they didn't check. Yeah. But they impersonated women. So. So basically, in their minds are like, basically, Mm -hmm. yeah. A law against cross-dressing has never specifically existed. What has existed is a hodgepodge of masquerade laws employed for various reasons over nearly 200 years. In New York City, a law was created in 1845 that declared no individual could have their face painted, discolored, covered, or concealed, or be otherwise disguised while in a road or public highway. This law was created to stop farmers from pretending to be natives to avoid tax collectors, but it would later be used against the queer community to punish drag queens and trans individuals. More laws began to crop up in 1850s and 1860s, specifically when women began to dress in men's clothing and join the military during the Civil War. During that era, the laws were enforced to keep women in their place. Yeah, it's really um, when you, interesting when you study what's considered cross-dressing laws because there's never actually a law that says you can't cross-dress. Right, there's these laws that are made for one reason, but then they're used they're to... Continually. I mean, these money, many of these laws are on the books today and have been used as recently as 2019. So they just... But they just adjust it to whatever they need. Like this law was... Year, a similar law in Texas was year, used, I think, in around 2014 or 15 for... Uh, it was in... No, it was in St. Louis. It was used about the uh, pull your pants up law mm-hmm. where they were telling black people you need to pull your pants up and they would use that um, this offensive dress law as a um, grounds for forcing people to wear their pants up around their waist. Mm-hmm. So it's it's always been used as a form of oppression and it's mostly been used as a form of oppression against black and brown people and queer people. And But they've there's never been an actual law right. in most for parts that, that says you can't. Um, William Swan's arrest in 1888 changed the direction of the laws that, and would set the precedence for countless more arrests, a thousand more queer people over the next 80 plus years. 
After an 1896 arrest landed Swan in prison for 10 months, he decided to demand a pardon from President Grover Cleveland. Of course, his pardon was denied, but his defiance as a black queer man to the president showed unmatched bravery. In fact, Channing Joseph, the author, even points out that this was the first legal act to defend queer rights in America, making William Swan an even more pivotal figure in LGBTQ history. Mm-hmm. Though Swan hosted the most well-known drag balls of the time, they certainly were not the only ones. Since 1869... Harlem's Hamilton Lodge had been hosting secret balls where LGBTQ plus people could freely cross-dress, express themselves, and dance with their actual partners. This continued for 37 years with little to no interference until the 1916 Committee of 14, a local morality committee, published a report on the male perverts who dress like women. And that was just the beginning. In the end, the committee would release 130 reports around the perversion and immoral of an immorality of the balls. Which just means that uh, for 130 balls, someone showed up and was taking those reports. <laughs> and I just thinking about this guy that's like telling his wife every night, like, well, honey, I have to go. Someone's got to take the reports. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, I don't want to go, but, but someone has to go. Somebody has to go. <laughs> if like, it's not me, then who's going to do this? Exactly. Who's going to save our children? And she's like, okay, but, but why do you have to go in a dress and heels? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> well, honey, obviously if I don't go like this, they're going to know I'm not. This, I'm, I'm just trying to blend in, Karen. They're going to okay? spot me. <laughs> She's like, yeah, but I mean, I think that 50 reports is enough. 130 <laughs> times. Also, I love the ingenuity of their their name, the Committee of 14. Yeah. They're just, okay. <laughs> Eventually, the reports would help to stir a, a local backlash. But for several years, they mostly went unnoticed as the balls exploded onto the mainstream scene in the 1920s. By now, people were... By now, people were well aware of the queer nature around the balls and often crudely called them, trigger warning, this can, faggot gonna, balls, huh? I was going to say we're going to use the F word. <laughs> faggot balls, okay. The notoriety carried a dual-edged sword. This, In some respects, gay white men and lesbians enjoyed a brief breath of fresh air and were quite popular among the socialite scene of the time. On the other hand, the once integrated balls quickly faded away. So, again, you went from... Um, yeah, integrated balls to to very segregated because as the the socialites and the the celebrities of the day want to show up, they didn't have any room for the black people. Right. This was partially due to the black and Latinx queer people being forced out to make room for straight white viewers, and also due to black and Latinx performers being fed up with the rigged competitions and racist judges. Sounds like Providence. <laughs> like, by this what's time, changed? <laughs> by this time, no judges were black or brown, and contestants were often forced to try to lighten their skin in order to get any recognition. With the arrival of more outside prejudice, the ballroom scene split as white balls became somewhat mainstream for a while, and black and brown ball culture went back underground. Though blues singer Gladys Bentley did continue to break the barriers performing from coast to coast until the 1940s. Bentley has had fallen into a mixed category has yes, or has. Yes. Bentley has fallen into a mixed category as many believe she was a transgender man and others claim she was a proud lesbian. We will cover Bentley's life in a later episode. Yet, her performances do not seem to be the traditional role of a drag king and are expression all to themselves. It's really hard because I don't know, and I and it's because I haven't researched enough yet. I've been meaning to cover Gladys Bentley forever. But because she would wear male attire while she performed but it wasn't she wasn't trying to be I don't think she was trying to be a male impersonator I think she just wanted to wear a tuxedo while she performed mm-hmm. but like I said I haven't done enough um, 
research yet to really comment on it. But right. she's often lumped into this with drag kings and transgender men. By the end of the 30s, drag and ballroom culture was a, as a whole had gone underground. America prepared for World War II and homophobia disguised as anti-communism swept the nation. In 1938, prominent black queen Alden Garrison was found passed out in a vacant lot and died shortly after being transported to the hospital. The fame he has, had experienced as one of the community's most notorious queens could not save Garrison from the fate of many queer black people. As drag faded from the mainstream scene, the culture continued to evolve and grow underground. Terminology such as Vogue, Strike a Pose, and Sashay was being used by the Baltimore Afro-American to describe black and Latinx balls as early as the 1930s. House mothers and queens were also a common term, though still used with extreme reverence for a particular figure in the community and not done by just any individual. Right, that was the head of the group. Yeah. For their part, white drag queens could no longer host their open balls, but they had found an odd yet enthusiastic audience in the form of lonely soldiers. While black and brown drag queens were being left to die in vacant lots, white queens were performing for troops stationed overseas. One of the most notorious shows was the Christmas Variety Show of 1942, and it wasn't just something happening in the American and English camps. One German historian found so many pictures of Nazis in drag that he created an entire book of the images. The discovery was especially bizarre considering the deadly anti-queer stance the Third Reich took against homosexuality, as discussed in our Pink Triangle episode, and the love story of Lily Wust and Felicia Schregenheim. Across all nations, there seemed to be a tolerance for drag performers if they were conducted by white performers and if they were all done for the sake of entertaining the troops. Right. It's just... it's. Like they're so homophobic, but they're like, well, if if you want to come out here and you know entertain the guys, entertain the fellas, that's okay. Just yeah, don't do it. Make otherwise. them happy so they can go out and kill more people. Right. But don't do this for anybody else ever, and yeah. make sure nobody finds out. Exactly. Upon returning, upon returning home from World War II, a new era was dawning in the world of modern drag. William Swan's younger brother, Daniel, had remained on the scene after his siblings' drag retirement. For 50 years, Daniel helped design and provide costumes and kept William's art alive in the community. His death in 1954 symbolized the end of the silent era. Queer soldiers of all identities and orientations were returning to a country that no longer had use for them, a country that had immediately launched into the Lavender Scare, rounding up LGBTQ plus people and imprisoning and institutionalizing them in mass. Yet these queens and queers had fought some of the most terrifying armies on earth, and they were done with the injustices. Folks such as emerging gay leader and drag icon Jose Soria were starting to fight back and speak out. The queendom was set for a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to pick back up with this episode next week mm-hmm. where we will continue discussing drag and drag culture and all kinds of other fun stuff. And more modern uh, things that we know today. Right. Um, and before we do close, I want to say how fortunate we are to live today mm-hmm. while also understanding that there are many places on earth right now where people aren't so fortunate to be able to live and express themselves as freely mm-hmm. as we are. Yeah. Um, so I want everybody to kind of take that into recognition today that if you're in somewhere like Evan and I are Rhode Island, United States, where it's very liberal, we're very fortunate. Um, and if you're also able to, if you're also in such a situation, I hope you're 
happy and mm-hmm. i hope you also keep our queer siblings in your thoughts that aren't in such a fortunate place and try to do a little research and maybe there's something you can do to help even if it's just talking with somebody over messages or something just mm-hmm. to give them a little hope yeah and recognize your privilege and understand why you should never ever do black or brown face absolutely and recognize that understand why it's so harmful hold people accountable study about racist stereotypes and study about um you know you know like paul said educate yourself about some of the other places in the world um where it's illegal to perform mm-hmm. in drag and it's still illegal to so-called dr- cross stress i think i think it's iran and i could be wrong i think iran just a just a year or so ago it became legal for drag performances to happen so i mean there are so many places around the world where it's illegal just to put on for a person who's assigned male to put on a dress or a person who's assigned female to put on men's clothing and so recognize that and be aware Mm -hmm. so your recommended resource is black drag queens who fought before stonewall by channing gerard joseph and we also recommend the docu-series the documentary disclosure on netflix uh, while this documentary is about trans representation in Hollywood, it also touches on some of the issues we spoke about in part one of our celebration of International Drag Day. And if you want to follow some great performers, then we suggest Drag Syndrome on Instagram. This is a group of drag queens that has Down Syndrome and do a fantastic job representing the intersectional parts of their identity while also showcasing some amazing looks. So catch us next week. Stay <clears throat> queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love you, our little allied hookers. And our succulent saphis. Resist the oppressors, our proud homocrats. And have yourself a sodomy circus. Or don't. And Black Lives Matter. Bye. Bye.